The Impact Accelerator is a research and grant development office in the College of Education, Criminal Justice, Human Services, and Information Technology at the University of Cincinnati. The department was designed to assist faculty, staff, and students in applying for and receiving external funding dollars. without really trying where we put the fun in funding. My name is Krista, a graduate student working in the Impact Accelerator, and today I am joined by Clara Green Schwartz and John Schwartz, who will be introduced later. Um, In this episode, we'll be going behind the scenes of the Impact Accelerator. Specifically, we'll be discussing the development of the Impact Accelerator, how the model is sustained, and ways you can implement a similar model in your organization. This episode is a follow-up to our first episode, which we went over the Impact Accelerator, what we do, who we are. So just a brief overview of that episode. So the Impact Accelerator was developed in summer-ish, fall-ish of 2019 and was developed to support faculty, staff, and students while elevating their impact and influence. Um, So our goal is to increase funding collaboration opportunities across campus and with various community partners. Um, So basically we help organize faculty, staff, and students to get them to apply for a grant proposal or put in grant submissions um, and hopefully get awarded. So you can go to our first episode and hear about all of the different things that we do. But today we are joined by Clara Greenschwartz, the research director of the Impact Accelerator. She was on a previous episode. And John Schwartz, who is a what is it? senior business officer here in the College of Czech. See, I knew it, but I didn't write it down. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves so they can tell you um, a little bit more about themselves more than I can. Hello, everyone. My name is Claire Green Schwartz. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the research director in the Impact Accelerator. It's a very fancy title. No one quite knows what we do, but we are a grant and research development office in the College of Education, Criminal Justice, Human Services, and Information Technology at the University of Cincinnati. As Krista mentioned, we were created solely to help bring in external funding to the university. Uh, A lot of times, that translates into helping faculty, staff, and students find grant opportunities, helping them with technical assistance for actually putting the grant together. Uh, We also do a lot of grant and research-related trainings and organize everyone to try to create more collaborations and get more people talking to each other so we're not so siloed um, within our schools and disciplines. And I'm John Schwartz. I'm the senior business officer here at the College of Education, Criminal Justice, Human Services, and Information Technology. My pronouns are he, him. I have been involved in research administration for the last 27 years. Uh, I know I still feel like that baby boy that started back in the early 90s and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And like most research administrators, you just kind of fall into it because I do have a background in criminal justice and psychology. I 
But uh, as uh, time went on and I tried to figure out what I was going to do when I graduated, an opportunity to help run a research center came up and I took advantage of that and it's built this career now. Uh, I am on also the university's institutional review board. I've been a principal investigator on numerous grants over the years and have been a project manager for over 500 grants and uh, projects. Uh, as well as uh, been mainly pre- and post-award administration. So research administration, I feel like I live and breathe, and I'm excited to be here to talk to you all today. So now that we've done those introductions, we will talk about the behind the scenes of the Impact Accelerator in just a second. presented at various conferences about the Impact Accelerator and the graduate student model that makes up the Impact Accelerator. And we often get questions asked um, about basically, this is a great idea, but how do you do it? How do you start it? How do you keep it going? So that's the purpose of this episode. So we're going to, well, I'm going to ask Claire and John some kind of I'm calling it behind the scenes because it's stuff that we as students may not really know much about um, so that you can guys can get some ideas about um, maybe ways that you can implement this uh, model at your organization or institution. So first, we're going to start with the question that we get most often, which is around funding um, money. Obviously, that's a big deal. So just generally opening it up, how is the Impact Accelerator funded or basically like how did you start with funding to get it started? I'll, I'll start off here and then um, I'll let John talk about a little bit more from the business side. But I think the one thing that intimidates people when we talk about this model is that we have grown pretty quickly over the last few years, but we didn't start out that way. We started out with just me and my full-time role. And then I begged a couple of graduate students to help me for one to two hours a week. I mean, at the time, we were putting together hard copy CVs and grant materials on the floor of my very small office at the time. But I don't think you have to start out big. You know, if you have one or two staff people working in the research enterprise, adding a graduate student here or there isn't going to be that much of a financial burden to, to get started. And honestly, that's how we started, right? Um, it was just a couple of hours. Honestly, it was, I was paying them whatever rate they were getting for their GAs. And um, luckily, we had some internal seed funding to help get our department off the ground. Um, but those first couple of years, it was really just me and my full-time role and then a couple of grad students as we needed them. And like I mentioned, uh, starting out in the research center I did, most of our support was with grad students or undergrad students. Because uh, as you think of it, financially, grad students and, and students in general, they don't have the same benefit rates. They're usually a lot lower than what staff are. Um, it's easier to manage uh, when you run into budget issues. Um, you know, you're not worried about letting a, a staff member go. Um, yes, we want to fund the students and it's hard. Those conversations are hard, but it's different. Someone's not building, that student's not building their livelihood necessarily around that job. They see it as a means to an end for their career or whatever they're doing. So um, it's really an important model to consider in all facets of research administration or even college administration as a whole. 
We've worked really hard with our financial team over the last few years to make sure that we are diversifying our budget and our revenue streams in terms of like, yes, we do still have some internal seed money from our central office of research, but our dean and the our college leadership team has been really supportive of not just our department, but in our graduate student model as well. Um, I have conversations with our school directors each spring Oh, speaking, it's about that time of year, isn't it? I should probably be emailing them to talk about graduate students for next year. But they've all been really supportive in terms of, okay, let's try this out. Do you have a graduate student for 10 hours a week that you could pay for? Or maybe I pay half and you pay half. Or like, let's be creative here to try to build your team. I will say after even just having a couple of graduate students for maybe five hours a week, it completely changed, not just the way that I worked, but the capacity that I could add. I think we, Krista, we went from what, eight grants, 12 grants in our first eight months with just me and a couple of grad, part-time grad students to the next year, I think we doubled in capacity and doubled in terms of productivity and how many grants that we were helping with and getting out the door. So um, even just having part-time grad students made a huge difference for us. seed funding is that kind of the only funding that helped to start it or I guess like not only funding but how did you get people above you who had the money to <laughs> executive sponsorship yeah. we talked about that in episode one way to bring that back Krista so how did you get them or how did they get you to be on board with doing this and then actually developing the impact accelerator so the Impact Accelerator was actually the idea of Ed Latessa, who was a faculty member in the School of Criminal Justice, and uh, our dean, Larry Johnson. Uh, they had talked about trying to find a way. I think it was, they were they were heading, heading towards retirement and figuring out what they were going to do when they retired. And so um, this was another way that they could stay involved. Um, so our college has always been very high performing as a social, mainly social services and social sciences, you know, college. We we outperform a lot of the other colleges uh, and, and hold our own with... Coming for you, engineering. With engineering and with arts and sciences. So everyone is very surprised surprised at where we are uh, on a research scale. But they pitched this idea to the Office of Research, to the VP there, of creating this impact accelerator with the idea of, you know, increasing revenue and grants that are coming through because, you know, the university has its own goals. And, and so we're trying to align with the goals of the university. And one of those was to grow the research arm. And so we asked them for funding and we showed how it would help them meet their goal and grow. Now, I think we've way exceeded what we originally had proposed. Um, I think some recent numbers I ran, I think our awards are up from, you know, I think about 200% from when we originally had uh, over the last five years or from the five years previous to the impact accelerator starting. So we were at 13 million at one point in time. I think when we started this proposal, we were at like 15 million. We're now, you know, right now this year, we're at 22 and a half million and our, our best that we've ever done as a 
college has been 24 million. So uh, we're quickly coming up to that number and should exceed that. So um, again, we're a very high performing college. uh, So it makes it as an easy investment at times. We do have to fight tooth and nail. Um, Our college, you know, hasn't usually gotten any seed money from the university or startup packages for our faculty like others do. So um, this was a pretty low budget request for, uh, for the Office of Research to consider. Um, and then once we received those funds, we also had to show that the college was going to put in an investment and invest some funds. Um, and so we showed how we were doing that, which things we were already doing, um, you know, but then also setting aside some funds to to cover, you know, whether it's Claire's salary or the student salaries or whatever we needed to do to advance it, but also having some money to invest in the faculty at the same time um, and to spark some of these collaborations. Uh, one other piece I would say that we had is we tapped into some of our endowment funds uh, um, was where how we picked up some of the grad students in that second year. So that 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 funding and, and taking advantage of that, the, those students were already working in our administration offices, but we just reallocated them to work in the impact accelerator and work with each of the schools to make sure that we were supporting the schools in this endeavor. I feel like it's paid off. Absolutely. I mean, the return on investment, not just from the Office of Research's perspective, but also from a college perspective. And I know we talked about this, I think it was what episode two, Krista, and storytelling and, and how do you how do you really tell the story? It is about dollars and it is about numbers of proposals and it is about metrics, but it's also about the handwritten thank you notes that we get from our faculty and the emails that go to our associate dean of research and to Larry himself. I'll never forget when my boss called me what we were not even at maybe we were a year I think we were a year or so into the impact accelerator and my boss called me and she was like um one of the faculty accidentally walked into our leadership team meeting with a bottle of wine and a thank you note and like was looking for you and I was like what are you talking about and one of the faculty members that we had recently helped on a grant he was so thankful that he was trying to track my staff and I down to give us a thank you note and happened to just bump into the leadership team and sang our praises. And so I think those types of moments and the gratitude, it goes a really long way. Another funding mechanism that we've tapped into has been our work study uh, students. So we do have graduate and undergraduate students that work in our department. And at the central level, University of Cincinnati has a lot of work study work study funds available. And so there's sometimes that I'm I'm paying a very small amount of money for undergraduate students because they are on work study. Um, UC also has co-ops and internships and practicums and lots of creative ways that you can fund students. So I encourage anybody who's looking to start their own department or to increase their student involvement in research administration or compliance or the research enterprise, take a look at what funding opportunities are already available at your university or within your organization and try to tap into those. Yeah. And work study is very important. Um, One, you're only paying 25% of that person's salary for a set amount of money. Um, A lot of times those go as untapped resources. I know at our university, there's times where we're getting, you know, an all call from uh, the central office saying, hey, you know, we have these work study funds available. 
let's make sure we take advantage of them, right? Because the federal government is providing those. And so it's paying the student. You can still pay a student 16 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, right? But the you're just not having to fund the majority of it from your own budget. And so um, those are things to really think about and take advantage of. And it's not just for undergrad students. It also applies to graduate students too. Wait, grad students do? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Grad students can work hourly, right? So it's the same thing. How did I miss? Okay, hold on. I'm writing this down. This is why I really like working with John. I feel like I learn new things all of the time about the financial side and the business side of this work that I never would have thought about previously. Okay, so we've been touching on kind of... um, students and how are students paid so thinking about me specifically since I have been working in the impact accelerators since December 2021 so like part of my overall funding um, as a student in a doctoral program is that my department the school of criminal justice um, pays for my tuition and then like my stipend my actual work part is paid by Claire through the impact accelerator that's a model we've used, um, I think, since about like January of 2021. Um, so we, as John mentioned, we tapped into some of our current endowments that we have, but it, that was just really isolated within one discipline. And so we wanted to make sure that we had representation from all of the different different disciplines that are within our college. I wanted graduate students from each of them so that they could help me help the faculty with different areas of expertise and like content um, because I'm not up on the most recent literature from education or IT. So we went around and asked the school directors if they would be willing, because a lot of the graduate students already get some tuition assistance. And so we asked if we could if they needed extra placements for some of their graduate students if any of their graduate students would be interested in learning more about research administration research development or even just the grant process right sometimes as anyone who is in research administration or research development as john mentioned you just kind of fall into this world sometimes and so a lot of times it's exposing students to this world and what this process looks like and that's how we can not just educate but train up the next generation of researchers and of administrators so uh we met with the school directors they were all really receptive um it just kind of depended on their budget and so Yeah, we were able to get at least one graduate student from each discipline. And then in some cases, we have multiple graduate students per discipline, depending on availability of funds, scholarships. Um, And then also, sometimes we pay for students off of grants, like the Impact Accelerator. We've gotten, we got a granted award from the National Science Foundation last fall, which I'm really proud of. So we're actually paying for a full graduate assistantship off of that grant. And then a supplement to TBD. Not yet, Krista. Not yet. Almost. Well, that'll be a whole other episode. Supplements. (laughs) We're working on figuring that out. So thinking about from 2019 to now, how do we keep it funded? How have we sustained it over the years? So one of the things that we have done, right, is we have a two-year funding cycle with our uh, central office. So they give us funding for two years. We, you know, show our metrics and and continue that route. And so that money continues to come in. But as you grow your research, 
we, you know, here at the university, we get a portion of overhead that comes back, right? And so you can use the money that is being generated by the increase in the research, the incre- that which ultimately increases the amount of overhead monies that come back to the college. And then we can set some of that money aside to continue to invest in the impact accelerator, the, our, in our model, the schools also get a portion of the overhead too, so the college doesn't keep all of it. But um, the portion that comes to the college, we do take a chunk of that and, and, and move it there. But also, as we've grown as a college and our budget has changed um, and we've gotten perm dollars, we've been able to use, I don't know that this is a real word, but we've made it up. It's called permatize, <laughs> right? We've made the funding permanent for uh, the positions. And so we have three impact accelerator employees right now, and we've been able to have funding available to make all those positions permanent. Um, and as we continue to grow, uh, we'll again start off with one-time monies. Then as we can and, and as we find the, the ability to invest into sometimes we might only we can only permatize part of the position right maybe we only have funding for half of the position and then the other half still has to come off of the one-time money so it's just a, a way of really trying to be creative with funding and how you can use it to work in in your advantage Again, it's an investment made by the whole college, not, you know, just the dean. Uh, And the value add that's coming back to the schools is hard to argue with as they have increased their funding. They have increased the amount of money that not only the faculty are receiving, but the, the schools are receiving as well from the money that is generated by the overhead which allows them to do faculty travel, uh, invest in faculty research and other things that they need to do as well. So talking about uh, permanentizing positions, how do you go about recruiting people for this? Um, Not only research assistants, because we're talking a lot about the graduate student model, but those permanent staff positions. We follow all the HR rules and guidelines (laughs) set aside by the University of Cincinnati and the federal government. Very PR of you, John. Um, To be honest with you, I think the biggest learning curve that we had in recruiting staff positions, but also student positions, is the individual has to have some knowledge of the research enterprise. When we really started recruiting and trying to um, increase our undergraduate student involvement in our department, it was very clear that we don't have the time or the capacity to teach people what research is, right? Where there's just not, we've got too many grants and we're just being pulled in all different directions. So um, we ask a couple of tailored questions in our interview process uh, about the research enterprise or for students specifically, what is your experience with research? Have you done any data collection? Have you worked on any faculty projects? Do you have research of your own? Because some undergrads, they will surprise you. Some of them have research agendas already as juniors and seniors. So I think that has been really, really important um, to help us recruit the the right type of student into the role. Um, some of the other things we look for are flexibility and uh, definitely attention to detail. Any of us who've worked on grant proposals, oof, attention to detail. I've been going back and forth for the past week and a half on a current impending. Thanks, NSF. NSF. We love you, NSF. 
please stop changing all the rules on us, NSF. Not sponsored by NSF. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things is uh, project management, time management. And I, I know we talk about this a lot on the conference circuit. Research administration, research development, even like compliance. There are so many translatable skills, um, what people might call soft skills, although I will push back on that language any day. Um, we look for a lot, a lot of those soft skills in our interview process, which even for students, we do do a multi-tiered interview process. Um, we try to have eyes on people, let's talk to them, because a lot of what we do, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of faculty-facing um, interaction or even administrator interaction, right? Some of our students interface with vice provosts and school directors, and so we just wanna make sure that um, we are recruiting people into our department that will feel comfortable being in a meeting with, you know, higher level individuals sometimes. Or if they're not, we want to make sure that they're open to being trained up so that they can facilitate meetings with people who make a lot more money than them in the room. Or oftentimes there's a different dynamic between a student a staff member and a faculty member, or maybe it's a faculty member that the student has cited in a paper before, right? Those are just some of the different dynamics that you can have in a meeting. And so we wanna make sure that we're setting everybody up for success by interviewing and, and recruiting um, the right type of students and staff into our department. And I'd say one of the other things that we've recently done with the University Office of Research, we've kind of partnered with them. They had an idea to try to develop research administration among the students, right? Like typically, I only know of a few master's programs in, in research administration, but uh, I don't really think that research administration is, a, is an area that most universities are, you know, really training students up for. So, so this has been a movement by the National Council of University Research Administrators. Uh, so we've kind of joined that bandwagon a little bit uh, where, you know, our office of research is, has invested a little bit of money for us to hire, you know, a student or two. And so they're paying for it, which again, another way of using your resources and, and, and developing uh, your offices. But um, eventually the hope would be you'd find some students that they've been exposed to it. They say, oh yeah, I really like research administration. It piques their interest and they may go on for a career in that, maybe here, maybe somewhere else. But the idea is we really do need to train up students and make them more aware of it. So um, that's another way that universities in uh, areas can invest in, in this student model. I'm always really surprised when we continue to have staffing issues within research administration and research development. And I know it's not everyone, but we are a couple of fields that are it's tough to recruit into because there's no bachelor's degree there's no associate's degree right there's a couple of only a couple of master's degree programs to recruit from for the there's thousands of positions within our fields across the country even the world and and we don't have a degree to to pull people and recruit from but we're sitting on some of us very large university campuses with tens of thousands of students that have the exact skills that we're looking for they just don't know that we exist so a lot of times it is a hey faculty member do you have anyone in your undergraduate you know, senior seminar who is really good at research or who asks really great questions. And sometimes it's just a conversation with the faculty member and sometimes a student of, hey, did you know that this existed? Like, are you interested in learning about grants? Like, 
to be honest, Krista, I think that's how we've recruited 90% of all of our students, undergrad or grad, is, hey, faculty member, hey, research center, uh, do you have anyone that you want us to train up or anyone who you think would even be interested in this work? Because that's the other thing, and this is my personal like managerial leadership philosophy, is I don't want people to just come and clock in and clock out. Like That's not... I mean, yes, I know sometimes it is a means to an end, but I want to learn something from my students and from my staff, and I, I want to teach them things too. Maybe they don't want to be a research administrator. I love our partnership with the school psychology program downstairs, I, and I understand that they just want to go, they're training to be school psychologists, and that's wonderful. And I want them to go change little kids' lives, right? Like I don't necessarily want to pull them from that dream, but if I can train them up or teach them how to visualize data or have them learn to facilitate tough conversations with difficult personalities, that will also translate into their work when they are a school psychologist, for example. But if they also have an interest in research, I'm totally fine with them coming to work for us for a couple of years so that we can learn from each other and submit a bunch of grants and get a bunch of grant awards and do some really cool work too. Well, the other thing too, thinking about research administration, right? We're training these folks up so that when they go out and they have their faculty positions or whatever, they understand the administrative side of it. And so we're not yes. getting those last minute proposals at Friday and it's due <laughs> Monday, Monday at noon, no, right? Like, so th those are the things that they get to understand. And uh, granted, those things happen, right? But on, on, the norm, it's not going to happen. They're going to understand like, hey, I need to be a little more vigilant about this. And to another point that you said, you know, if you're a research administrator in research administration, you kind of live and breathe it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, the, we do. it's the passion. Uh, we have, we're very passionate about the, uh, the research that our faculty are doing and our faculty and staff and our colleges and our units are doing. Uh, we care about what's going on. We care about the people running the projects. We care about the students doing it. So it's hard to just say, oh, it's just a nine to five or it's a, you know, whatever the hours may be and I can go home and forget about it. It's hard for anyone to do that. Um, but it's because we care about what's happening and changing the world. Yeah, I think um, a lot of this goes to a question that we got when we did the discussion group, like live version of this, was um, someone asked, okay, you've got these students in this um, impact accelerator, what what are they going to do afterwards? Um, and uh, I've talked about kind of my journey. Um, speaking of recruiting, I was recruited by the two original students of the impact accelerator um, because I was kind of looking at a different area I was teaching at the time and kind of was tired of teaching um, and looking for something else. And Claire, this was at the time when she needed, was looking for students from each of the four colleges um, represented, or schools represented in Czech. Um, and so I went through the interview process. I hadn't heard of research administration. I knew about grants, like you write grants to get money to do research, but that was about it. And then went through the process and so now I'm partially doing some recruiting. We've talked about it in a previous episode, like a lot of word of mouth um, from students to students um, as, along with faculty to students. But yeah, that's, I guess it all kind of comes full circle. And in that same conference, we talked about someone mentioned how they love this model because 
even if we don't stick in research administration, when we go on to be potentially faculty, staff, or work somewhere else, we know more about the grant proposal process to help research administrators not be so frustrated with those 11th hour um, submissions. Never happens. (laughs) Okay, but let's also just talk about life skills, right? Like when you're in research administration or, okay, even if you're just a faculty member submitting a grant, you learn so much. And as someone who wrote a grant last year, you learn so much about yourself, your team, even like boundaries or lack thereof sometimes, right? But learning how to read a contract, learning how to read legalese from the different federal funders or from different private philanthropy organizations, right? Like learning to interpret language and kind of read between the lines. And I can't tell you how many people I've taught to make a checklist from an RFP, right? I think a lot of times we take for granted, um, oh, we have these life skills, life skills. I've always been super organized as a human, but other people are not always like that. And so I do think that we are teaching, yes, definitely our undergrad and graduate students, but also faculty and staff members. Like this is what a contract should look like. No, you can't answer a call from a politician or a television station, or like we gotta go through legal or we have to go through government relations or what have you. Like, I do think it's a really interesting, really informative experience that you learn about yourself and your team to just go through a process of a grant, let alone being in an internship or being in a co-op. Like there's so many different skills that you can pick up through those experiences. So going off of that, um, the kind of next question that we got was like, how do you train students to do this work? Because a lot of people do just kind of fall into it and you learn as you go. It's a great question, Krista. Um, We take training very seriously in my department and we, it's honestly, we built our training model or I don't even know that it's a model curriculum. Like our training process was created by the students with the students. So of course, uh, we really started this department, uh, two seconds before the pandemic. So we had a lot of time to kind of figure some of this out. But the students, you know, when I brought a couple of the formalized GAs on board, we were like, okay, this is what I do. This is where we house stuff, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they were like, yeah, but where are you writing this down? I was like, oh yeah, I should probably write this. So we came up with a process for writing down our nomenclature for our files and the different processes for our internal mentoring grants and our internal dissertation awards and things like other tasks and things that we were helping with. We helped our grant team create a visual for our grant process because it's never straightforward, right? Research administrators, the research development staff. It's never that easy. So we think as we were going through these processes, our students helped us write down and develop this model. We, I call it a very slow on-ramp. And I know that a lot of our, especially type A students get frustrated with us because it's a slow on-ramp, but it is a lot to wrap your head around. Even just the sheer volume and like quantity of files that a grant proposal can require sometimes. Chris is nodding furiously as we're NSF. putting in an NSF. Yes. yes, with lots of supplemental documents. I still think, well, I know some research administrators have stories, but I think the most documents I've ever submitted was like 298 for no. a federal proposal. That's how many pages? No. 
software in our packet. So we can have that's a soapbox for another day, team. But so we start off very slowly. We have some formalized training modules that we've either created or we'll pull from other great training entities like Candid um, is free online training. They have a really great like Grant Proposal 101. No, it's called what Introduction to Grant Writing, I think. Um, we also have some internal resources too, some recorded webinars that we have people watch. Um, and here's the kicker. We pay them for all of that. So as soon as you someone comes on board, we start their pay. We include training as part of their either internship or GA, um, because I think that's really important that we can't expect people to do free labor. And I want to make sure that our students are able to pay their rent and go grocery shopping and think pay their car payments and things like that. Uh, so we do a lot of formalized training at the beginning. We make sure we bring them on campus. We have a little swag bag that we give them, which yes, is part of our college investment and also like some fun data stickers and Sometimes like getting giving students a quarter zip or a t-shirt can go a long way, right? You brand it with your logo or with your university. It makes them feel like part of the team. Uh, we also give them a key to our suite so that they have a place to put their stuff down. And if they want to put a book in a cabinet, right, give them a place to call their own. Um, and then I make sure we have FaceTime with the student. I don't want to just be a floating head on a video call all of the time. And I know not all organizations have that opportunity to have that face-to-face -face contact. We don't make the students come in all of the time. Parking is not fun most days on UC's campus. Um, but we do think that it's important, especially during onboarding, to have more individualized one-on-one -on -one either training sessions or conversations with the students. And then the other piece is I try to take all of them to lunch or coffee, right? A dollar and a half cup of coffee from the mom and pop coffee shop down the street just to get to know them. And we don't really talk about work. I ask them about their pets or their plants, right, Krista? Yeah. Lots of Krista's plants um, because students are people too. And I think we forget about that. And we see them as ways to build our capacity and to help us submit these tough grants, but they're people too. And so I want to know about their dogs and about their plants and about their hometowns. And um, it means a lot to me and to my staff to get to know them as people. And then I also think it helps the students come to us when they're overwhelmed or they're burnt out or, hey, this faculty was rude to me when I emailed them about this grant proposal document. And so like that's some of the culture that we can shut down immediately. And so by having that open line of communication with our students and our staff, we're, we're able to continue to have a good culture within our department. And so we do talk about that culture and we are very pro mental health and you take a mental health day and we communicate about our boundaries. And I've had students be like, no, I need to be done at five o'clock. And I'm like, okay, cool. Have there been times at 4.58 when I'm like, ooh, I really want to call the student. And I'm like, nope. She set a boundary for me. I'm not going to call her. This can wait till tomorrow, which I'm looking at, John, because that's a really tough thing for a grant administrator sometimes to do, to say, no, we have an urgent deadline, but can this wait 12 hours? Yes, it probably can wait 12 hours. So it's a very long-winded way of talking about our onboarding. But Yeah, my new mantra is, I'm not. are we doing surgery right now? Is anyone dying on my surgery table? No, it can wait. It can wait. And so another question.
question we got, I guess this is kind of twofold, is um, how do you supervise, but also one that seems to be um, a kind of phenomenal topic is how do you trust students to do this work? Well, first, before I let Claire (laughs) answer this, you're a supervisor, right? So you got to separate the student from, from this equation. They're an employee right now. And so I have to put trust in my employees that they're going to do the job. Yes, I've trained them, right? And we've already talked about Claire's training, you guys. So at that point, yours probably trained up as, as an employee at that point to, to start to be able to spread your wings a little bit and go. So like my philosophy has always been, here, I'm going to give you these tasks. When you show that you're successful at these tasks, I'll expand the other things that you get to do. Um, now, I don't know that that's Claire's philosophy, but from a different side of the research administration, that's what I look at. Sure, it's like I'll do some verification until I'm really comfortable that they're able to do everything, you know, and move and let them go. Um, but to me, it's just you're supervising an individual and I wouldn't do it any different with my own employee. I agree with all of that. <laughs> and then I have other things to say. Um you know, Chris and I have talked about this a lot. Graduate and undergraduate students, they don't just turn their brains on once they walk across that graduation stage, right? They don't just, you know, magically become awesome young professionals or, you know, brilliant people when they get that diploma in their hand. They are brilliant now. They're brilliant when they come into your undergrad or graduate program. And so we trust them right out the gate, we're going to support them. Um, And the other piece that we haven't really talked about is that we are student-centered, meaning that the students drive some of their work. So sometimes we have students come in and say, I'm a crappy public speaker. Please do not make me introduce anyone. Please do not. Like, I know it's a flaw of mine, but please don't make me speak in public. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, do you want us to help you with that? Or do you want to just be behind the scenes? And sometimes they say that they want to learn and get better at it. And sometimes they're like, please, no, don't make me talk to anyone. I want to sit in the back of the room. And I respect that. And we will make it work and we'll have those conversations. And so the students set goals every, even every semester. We do a formalized document at the beginning of every year so. July or August, depending on when they're working for us. And then we try to give them projects and give them tasks and opportunities that will help build those skills that they're thinking about. Sometimes we do go to the students and we're like, hey, Krista, do you want to learn how to facilitate a meeting? And she's like, sure. And I'm like, is that like a sure? Like, yes, like I'm really excited. Or like, sure, you want to like claw your eyes out. And sometimes they're like, no, I'm not ready for that. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I think that that could be a really vital skill for my future career. And so great. Krista facilitates meetings on her own. I was out sick a couple weeks ago. I did not have any second thoughts when I was like, Krista, I'm out sick. I need you to run this meeting at 2 PM. And she's like, okay, is the agenda in the OneDrive? And I was like, no, but here's what I need you to talk about. Did you do? And she's like, okay, go get better. Bye. Right. And that, that's all, that was our entire text conversation. So we have our students drive what they want to do. And then we support them with that. We don't always 
throw them in the deep end of the pool. Although I did hear Danny's Gantt chart drama <laughs> in a previous episode, which <laughs> is hilarious to me because that is not quite how I remember the situation. At Danny as a doc student, I had 100% confidence that he could successfully draft a Gantt chart because Google, we will Google and he has a brain and he has good visualization skills. I 100% trusted Danny through a couple iterations. I knew that he would produce a high quality Gantt chart. So we support you if you if the students feel like, I'm looking at Krista, you guys can't see that I'm looking at Krista when I say this, but if they need us to stand next to them or they wanna shadow us while we model a skill, we facilitate a meeting, we show them how a process works, cool. But eventually we'll flip that and have Krista facilitate a meeting or I'll have one of our students give an introduction for a speaker and we'll give them feedback and stand right beside them to make sure that, that they feel supported and we'll give them feedback. And then they do things on their own. To be quite honest with you, Krista, her documents that she creates are just as high a quality as my full-time staff and even the things that I produce for people. Um, and I, that's totally one of those moments where I'm like, I could not have done that better. Krista did it better than I did. And so do I spot check? Absolutely. Do I spot check everyone's work, including deans and provosts and school directors and veteran faculty who have submitted tens of millions of dollars in grants? A hundred percent, right? That's my job. But I want to teach people skills. I want them to learn to facilitate meetings and to build checklists and things like that. And so I don't even remember what my initial question was, but we support our students. We train them up. And then when they feel comfortable to do things on their own, we let them go and spot check as needed. Yeah, but I think you hit on something important there, though, too. You have to be humble enough as a supervisor to really know that you don't have all the answers and you're not the smartest person in the room, Absolutely. right? Like these students are amazing individuals and they come up with ideas that sometimes you need that fresh perspective because you've been doing this for 27 years and <laughs> you think that this is the right way to do it. And someone comes in and says, well, what about if we do it this way? Or what about this? Right. And it like completely changes how you do things. So you've got to always be open to learning new things and to knowing that the students may have a better idea than you do. So Kristen, can I ask ourselves a can I ask myself a question? Sure. That, okay. So we've been talking about sunshine and rainbows and like this great model and everything's perfect and unicorns and sun is shining and it's it's not always that. And so we have had not a ton of faculty, but a couple of faculty over the years who have blatantly out, you know, to me said you expect a graduate student or even an undergraduate student to edit my work. What makes you think that a student knows this literature better than I do? And it is a great opportunity for me to pull aside a, a faculty member, not usually staff, usually staff are super supportive of students and I'm totally generalizing this whole thing, but it's a great opportunity for me to pull the administrator aside, to pull the leader aside, to pull the faculty member aside and say, can you tell me why you think that? Because X student has run six successful projects on their own or um, yes, I do think that these students could have something to offer with this literature review. They are way smarter than me and I trust them explicitly. 
And so I do think having that one-on-one conversation, it's definitely not a conversation for a group or a team, right? But I do think making sure that the faculty or administrator, whomever is asking those tough questions, it is an opportunity for you to brag on your students. Because I think sometimes faculty just don't understand, like they don't have the same experiences with students that we do, right? And they're in a classroom setting and there's, you know, it's, it's a whole different dynamic versus we are definitely more um, peer, like near peer, right? Like let's have a conversation, like let's train. Like I wanna know what's going on in criminal justice because I haven't done a damn literature review for anybody in a very long time. But to be honest, a lot of faculty haven't done a literature review in you know recent years. And so I do think it's a great opportunity to say, none of us is smart by ourselves, but how can we pull our heads together to make this proposal the best, most competitive proposal that it can be? And so I have yet to have a faculty member come back to me and say, you were wrong, right? A lot of times, every time, I think there's four faculty that I've had that conversation with and all four of them have come back to me later and said, you were right. Those students are great. And we even had a really cool case where um, now a faculty member who I, we had that conversation with now has centered their graduate students more um, intentionally within their grant proposals, within that process. And the students are helping lead that process internally for their unit, which I think is really, really cool. And a total testament that this graduate student model works. Yeah, and I think that hits on something though, as faculty, a lot of times, you know, we all run into ruts in our own tracks, right? And we forget that we're training up the, the leaders of tomorrow. We're training up the leaders in the field that are going to be there tomorrow, right? I think about all the folks when I went through the criminal justice area that were PhD students that are now the experts in the field, right? So, and I think sometimes faculty forget that that is part of their purpose and because they are worried about training them and teaching them, but it's hard to say, oh yeah, I'm always teaching them, but to think, wait, they do have ideas, they do have things, and where do you think their PhDs come from Where in their dissertations and all those things? So sometimes the faculty just need that little reminder, um, and, and even staff and, and, and deans and everybody else too. It's like we as administrators sometimes forget that they're not just students. I agree 100%. And for our listeners out there who aren't in higher education, maybe you're at a nonprofit or maybe you're in a think tank. As someone who worked for several years outside academia and outside higher ed, this also is applicable for those organizational structures as well. Um, I'm going to push back every time when you have a director or a VP or someone in the C-suite who just thinks they know everything, right? And their ideas are the best. And you know what? No one can have any other ideas. And I, I'm going to push back and say the more ideas, the more brains, the more heads you have around a problem or a grant or a really cool solution, the better it is going to be. So even if you are on a non profit, for instance, um, and you have someone pushing back on, you know, can students really do this work? They absolutely can do this work. It doesn't matter what organizational structure they're in. Students are bringing their experiences, their knowledge, their background to their work, and they're brilliant. One last question, I guess, is how do you decide when to 
hire more full-time staff or once you bring on more students since we have grown quite a bit over the years? I mean, I can tell you what we did, but I feel like it's not necessarily the best <laughs> model for this. Um, when you're drowning, that I, that's what we had to do. We The demand for our services grew exponentially between really was like after a year we really launched like once people figured out and they started talking to each other about this free service that the college was providing I couldn't check my email fast enough I couldn't I ended up not I couldn't manage all of the proposals on my own anymore I had even with some GA help a couple of part-time grad students I had I had I had to hire I my boundaries sucked and I was getting burnt out in the middle of the pandemic. And so I have weekly meetings with my supervisor, my boss, Kathy, um, which I don't know if she realizes how much I appreciate those weekly meetings because of how our growth has ebbed and flowed and how we've had to change some things in our organizational structure I feel like all the time but I don't I know not everyone needs weekly meetings and I know or even monthly meetings or quarterly or what have you depending on your your role but um even if it's like hey Kathy can you get the dean to sign this letter of support please and thank you or hey Kathy this faculty member is ghosting us do you know this person um even just having a quick 30 minute check-in with her has been so helpful but I was honest with her I was like I'm drowning and we're up 200 percent in proposal requests like help me help me weed through my options and at that point I wasn't necessarily new to the university but I was new to like we were still building this department very much as we were (laughs) building it and flying the plane right as they say but I was like what what are my options do I even have the budget to hire another GA I don't want to say no to people right because that defeats the entire purpose of our work but so her and I strategized when the right Time would come for, okay, let's build an extra GA into your budget next year. Or, oh, let's talk to the financial team. Maybe there's some, not an endowment, but maybe there's other funding, you know, pots of money that we could hook into or something like that. So I will say that our culture here in CUCH is very creative. Like the return on investment for this department has been wonderful. And so how do we help Claire not burn out? How do we help Claire be a nice human? Um, and so that was when, when the demand started to increase, that was when we started to hire more people. Yeah. And then now that increase is causing me to look at my grant administration side. Sorry, not sorry, John. And we probably need to add another staff member to help with that 200% increase in awards and proposals and all that other good stuff that's coming down the pipe. So right now, you know, my grant administrator of one is, uh, you know, about at capacity. So I think those are realistically, those are other things that you got to think about what realistically can each individual person handle, you know, from a proposal development, how many proposals at one time can they really be doing how many are you averaging, you know, in a month and those things? And, and then how does that play out? Are all those fun statistical things that we get to, and data that we get to look at and figure out, okay, here's our number. This is our, this is the, where we're at, you know, maximum capacity. Then we can start to look at filling another position. Because it's not just the work, right? Like we don't want to sit at our desks for 
you know, 39.9 hours every week and not move and not breathe and not feel like we have space to be creative or wait, that's why you work 60 hours. No, hard pass. <laughs> no way on that. Um, we don't want to just work our, I'm going to specifically say research administration and research development, but I know that like IRB feels it sometimes. I know that on the administrative side or compliance, internal audit, even funders, like we know no one wants to work 60 hours a week, John, that's (laughs) not fun at all. But for, here's an example. So we have been increasing in our submissions and then also in our awards, it's, I mean, it's great. You're like, yes, give us all the money, but you're absolutely like, okay, well, how do we manage all of this now? Right. On the post award side. But so we need to train people. Well, how can we train people when we are submitting proposals and editing current and pendings and bio sketches for 39.9 hours, right out of the, out of the week. And so we have had a goal this is what's the second year now we've had a goal as a grant team that we needed to ramp up the amount of trainings that we're doing, right? To try to decrease errors and to increase knowledge around certain funders and supplemental documents. Damn it, we have not been able to get to our strategic planning items just by the nature of the work, right? And so I think that's one of the things that as a grant leadership team really made us sit down and say, okay, we haven't been able to do any new trainings and we need we have faculty who are hungry for trainings they want to submit to nih nsf the entire alphabet soup right and so how do how do we better prepare them because i don't want to spend more time individually talking about this is what a bio sketch is and it's changing and here's the rules right so like we need to be more efficient with our time and with how we're training people and quite honestly last year we sucked. We did not, like, while our grant proposals and our awards skyrocketed, we spent, like, very little time on training. And so we know that's something that we need to do better on. And so I think it's absolutely to what John was saying of, like, we have to build more capacity. And so for us as a grant team, it really made us sit down and say, okay, this grant administrator in School of Ed, for instance, she's swamped. They've really increased their number of awards. She needs to focus on post-award. Okay, well, what about the impact accelerator? What all can you do? And I was like, hey, Krista, do you want to run a training? And Krista said, yes, please. Actually, no, you said yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, you were like, yeah, give it to me. So, which is great. But we have students that are willing to hop in. So I think that has helped with our capacity. But we still have, there's like seven more trainings we need to make sure that we can create and present and have someone coordinating a training, y'all, is not fun sometimes. And so how do you build capacity to do that? Sometimes you can do it with students, but sometimes you can't. And so I'm glad that our leadership team within the college and our grant team as well, like we're trying to be creative, but sometimes we're just like, we need another person. And let's, let's face it, the university or in IE, the college is tired of hearing me do trainings. So, um, <laughs> it's nice to get some new blood in here, but that, I mean, realistically though, for the capacity, um, one of the things I'm looking at, at a position right now is, you know, I want to see them as a utility person. They can, they can pick up and help with pre-award. They can pick up and help with post-award, but more importantly, we have all these compliance and policies and procedures and trainings and things like that, that we're trying to do, but, you know, Jody, God bless her soul, right? She is amazing, but she's at full capacity and doesn't have the time to worry about helping build other trainings. 
And so we need to find a way to relieve that pressure. And so sometimes you are investing in someone that may not be at full capacity with the research administration as far as like the grant proposal part of it. But it's more about here are the things that we need to get done to, to better support the research administration as a whole in the college or the unit or the agency. So those things are just as important as someone that's doing the work of, you know, the proposal submissions and all that stuff all the time. Yeah. And I think about um, <clears throat> thinking about graduate students and the graduate and undergraduate students. Um, we have started kind of working on and off of having, I was interested in learning about budget. So more uh, some post-award stuff. Um, and so I've been sitting in on meetings with Jody where she's working with faculty and going into Kowali and building a budget. And so our thought process is by me learning how to do that, it can relieve a few things off of Jody's plate so she's not having to go into, take time out of working on something else to go into Kowali to check, to make sure there's no spelling errors in a title. Like that's something I can quickly do. Real quick for those of you, Kowali is our electronic research administration system. And that's something else too that we haven't really touched on. I know Krista, you claimed Danny talked about this in your episode um, on the graduate student model, but there are doctoral students or even I'd say undergraduate students. And I was like this when I was an undergrad too, of they want leadership experiences. They want to continuously grow and learn. And so when you have someone like Krista, who has worked with us for two years, she can run circles around me facilitating a meeting. She understands different funders and requirements and no foes, PDFs, FDA, all that, all those <laughs> acronyms. And she was like, okay, well, how am I going to keep growing? How am I going to keep learning? Yes, I would love to present at a conference. Yes, let me help put some trainings together. And it's also, I don't know what person months are. Can I work with Jody to learn a little bit more about that? Last year, we had so many doctoral students that wanted leadership opportunities. I had to tell some of them, not no, but pause. Like we had so many people who wanted to learn some of these leadership and administrative skills. We had to prioritize based on several different things, um, including funding, because if a, someone's a student lead, I always try to pay them more because they have an extra level of responsibility. They have an extra level of oversight. Some of it was projects that were available, right? It, Krista happened to, there was a bunch of criminal justice projects that needed a lead. And I was like, well, that's a great fit. Krista wanted to learn more about oversight and running a grant proposal from a project management perspective. And so some of those other students that we weren't able to train up in these areas last year are getting those experiences this year in some other ways. So people are hungry for these things. They, they want to learn how to be leaders. It's not just about the technical skills, but it's also, I, I've had students who are like, Claire, how do you supervise nine students at the time. And I was like, not very well, because there's so many, right? There's so many students. And I was trying to run proposals at the same time. And so I think it's also forced me to, now that I'm uh, at, the, at a director level, I have to learn to delegate and I have to backfill my position and I have to still do payroll and I have to still, you know, we celebrate birthdays and coordinate team meetings. And so I'm trying not to, no, not trying, Krista, Here's my boundary. I am not running proposals anymore. I am teaching others, right? And I have that level of oversight. But 
don't count your doctoral students or your, your undergrads or your master's students out because they can also help you in those leadership roles and, and teach them, teach them how to be leaders, teach them how to be coordinators because if they go into academia, chances are they will be a program coordinator. They will be a graduate director or have co-op oversight responsibilities, right? They're not necessarily just going to be faculty teaching and doing research all of the time. So these skills are definitely translatable on the leadership side too. All right. Thinking about um, kind of ending on that discussion, I think that segues us good into a how can um, people implement this in their organization? Maybe not exactly, but like some strategies. So start small. That's my first piece of advice. Um, start with a pilot or a demo or whatever your corporate word du jour uh, you want that to be. Start small, a part-time um, graduate student, a part-time co-op, a part-time internship, right? Whatever works for you, whatever already existing infrastructure you can hook into, try to do that. Think about work study. Think about what other people are already coordinating so you don't have to. Um, it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. It could absolutely be an unpaid internship. I, I'm not a huge supporter of unpaid internships, right? But sometimes you don't have the funding for that. And that's just has to be what it is. Um, so I think starting small and having honest conversations with your financial person, your business team, whatever that looks like, and saying, I would love to do this. What are my options? What does my budget look like? And maybe you be prepared for a no, right? Because that does happen. And maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's next fall when the university next door starts back up again or something like that. Um, but I think having those honest conversations, I'm also going to pitch our storytelling episode again, because we really talked about how do you cultivate and how do you build your story? It's not just data and metrics, although upper leadership does like data and metrics. If you can show a potential positive return on investment, leadership is much more likely to support you and into and to invest dollars and time and resources if you have a good return on investment. And I would say, you know, having senior leadership buy-in. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you need to be able to sell the idea to them. Also have someone who's dedicated from, uh, you know, full-time staff, a person dedicated to overseeing it when you start off. But I do agree. Start small, work out the kinks. Uh, there will be new kinks as you grow and get bigger, but try to figure out like use maybe that first year, even if it's a no, right? Still work on it. Use that first year to lay out process, lay out, take some extra time and, and lay those things out. So then when you do get that, yes, you're ready to go. Don't ever just say, okay, no, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Because especially if they say not this year, maybe two years from now, maybe next year, right? Well, then you can kind of lay that out. And sometimes you take advantage of the resources you have. You might already have a student working for you. You could start using that to your advantage. You could start slowly doing a little bit here, a little bit there with this model. So uh, I would just say, don't ever just say no is a face value answer. There, it's just push the limit sometimes and, and do what you can that will help advance what you're trying to do and accomplish. And as they see the success, it's hard for people not to get excited about it. It's, not, it's hard for people to deny that it was a good investment. 
one other thing that you thought about or that you said when you mentioned the unpaid internship. If you're at a university, a lot of times with PhD students, you're already supplementing their and paying for their tuition. So why can't you take one of those positions that you have and assign it to this role? Um, so those are just ways that you could already take advantage of the money that you're already spending and just reallocate it differently. Um, so just thoughts, just got to be creative. I'm going to also connect back to our careers in the research enterprise episode that we did earlier in this season. There are tons of graduate students who are in their master's and PhD programs, and they do not want to go into academia. Or maybe they get halfway through a clinical psychology program and they're like, ooh, I do not want to provide direct service. But you can still use their knowledge, their background, their the, what they've learned in their program and on the research side. Like they could go do data collection, traveling across the country. They could provide trainings. That could be a whole different revenue stream. That's foreshadowing Krista for potential revenue income for us later so i'll put it down on a post-it note we love our post-its in our department but think about all of those students out there who figure out that maybe the academy is not for them and that's okay but what are their other options right how can we keep them using their brains i am also going to quote dr dr marcia rash potts um because i think the last time i quoted her it got edited out i was very sad we always want to make sure that our employees that our students are being utilized to the highest level the highest capacity possible, right? We don't want someone who's trained at a doctoral level necessarily to be doing entry-level tasks. Sometimes that stuff just has to get done and that's okay, but we want to make sure that our employees, our students are growing, they're learning, and that they are operating most of their role at the highest level possible. That's how we keep everybody happy and keep everybody challenged. So I challenge you listeners to always think about that. How can we be creative? How can we utilize our students to How can we create a pathway, a pipeline? How can we tell more people about the research enterprise? Thank you so much for listening. This has been um, the making of the Impact Accelerator, aka behind the scenes. Um, This has been Krista, Claire, and John for how to get funded without really trying Uh, We hope you join us for our next episode. We'll be discussing some steps to take now that your grant proposal has actually been awarded. You got the award. Now you actually have to do the work that you said you were going to do. So good luck. Um, If you have any other questions, we do want to say that um, if you have any questions about uh, the Impact Accelerator, how to go about trying to develop something like this in your own organization, um, our email will be in the show notes, um, and we will try and get to it when around all these other grants that are going in but before we go we like to always give a shout out to joey who is a graduate student here in the impact accelerator who did all the music that you hear in this episode and all the other episodes and as always to the impact accelerator for their continued support of this project do i get to say it yeah oh and by the way go fund yourself <laughs>